I was reflecting this morning on our Facebook page that, that uh, the scriptures during Lent are different than the ordinary time of the year because in the ordinary time, um, the scriptures are taken and they continue. So like, let's say we, at Easter time, when we get into the Acts of the Apostles, although this is an ordinary time, we just go chapter after chapter in a, in a row. And the same with during ordinary time. If we're in the, in the book of uh, Ruth or if we're in the, uh, letters to Timothy, they just continue. They're continuous readings and we kind of finish up the chapters as we go along. But in this time, Lent, it bounces all over the place. Yesterday we were in Jeremiah. Today we're in Genesis. Uh, tomorrow we're in Second Kings. Uh, Sunday's different, and then Monday we go back to uh, Deuteronomy, I think, and, and we just keep bouncing around, even with the Gospels. There's no continuous readings, but what we're doing during this time is pulling us into and introducing us to, to these events, the big events of Holy Week. We're getting ourselves ready, so we keep hearing about sin and grace, uh, people falling into sin and they're needing to be redeemed by God's love and grace. So, um, let's take a crack at it. First, I'll, I'll go from the silly and mundane to the serious. I remember, oh, it has to be 40, about 48 years ago, 49 years ago. It just stuns me that our minds work like this. One time in homiletics class, that was the class where the priest taught us how to preach. One time the priest told us to be careful to enunciate clearly when we speak. And he used this example in the psalm today. Remember the marbles the Lord has done. No, not the marbles. They're very different, huh? marbles and marbles. Um, and like I say, it's silly or mundane, but it's true, too. Uh, but more than just enunciating is to become simply and deeply aware, simply and deeply aware of where the Word of God is leading us. Um, I remember even more, first I said to myself, I mean, I think, more or less, I admitted that I had a lot of sibling rivalry in me. Um, I don't think I'd ever even thought of it before. But I was number five of six children, and after me, three years later, was born my little brother, Larry. Uh, but before, by the way, before he was born, my dad used to come home from work. I, I assume my dad and mom thought I would be the last one. Um, my dad would come home from work, and he'd always called me Peye. I don't know why. And he, he came over and said, here, open your hand. And then he would take the change out of his pocket and pull out the pennies and give them just to me. Nobody else in the family, just to me. I was the king, the prince. I was everything. And then Gugu was born. He was the baby. So he's like Joseph. And I was like Joseph's brothers, I think. And I remember, you know, and, and I, it was in very subtle, and this is, this is part of the beauty of these scriptures today. They're so horrific, the example, that we can all say, oh, well, that, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't kill our brother or sister. But how do we treat them? And how uh, sometimes do we do it for years? I was doing it for 19 years. Well, at least uh, about 17, 16. So one day, I remember we had a huge argument in front of my mom and dad. 
And I yelled at him, he yelled at me back and forth, and then he cussed me out, and my mother's eyes were almost popping out. And then he walked out the door and slammed the door, said, you never loved me, boom, and walked out the door. And there I was standing in silence before my dad and mom, and my father in classic fashion said this, well, looks like you made another friend today. <laughs> and I realized uh, that that sibling rivalry, it, it wasn't murderous, but it was ugly enough that it caused my brother to feel those feelings. And, uh, and thank God he said them to me that day, my eyes. So today when we read about, you know, uh, a father giving to his favorite, to the baby, so beware parents and grandparents. Make sure you are careful what gifts you give to the baby or your favorite. I know nobody has a favorite. But Joseph was the favorite, and his brothers hated him for it. They hated him for it. And they actually plotted to kill him. And only because one brother thought, well, it's our blood, we shouldn't do that. He had a little awake moment. And they took advantage of him anyway. Because when the Ishmaelites came along, they said, well, let's sell him to them. Then we can tell Dad that he died and, and uh, give him back the cloak. And, and we have this money now, and our brother's out of our lives, this dreamer of dreams. Well, as we read this story, again, I say, I, I think it's safe to say none of us have had murderous thoughts, or maybe we've had murderous thoughts, but we never act on them. But uh, how often do we, you know, hold our brothers and sisters, literally our blood brothers and sisters, our very close family members, to these standards where we're always just on the edge of condemning them, just on the edge of criticizing them? just on the edge of seeing them less. And I think this scripture reveals not only that scenario, but reveals the condition and power of sin, how subtly sometimes it corrupts and, and taints the, our inner spirit and, and creates in us, um, allows us to create in ourselves a, a, a kind of an ugliness that lives within us. It's expressed in our mouths and a lot of times by our attitude, our actions. So that when we come to the gospel today, again, we're looking at the great themes of Lent that are leading us to the great themes of Holy Week and Easter. And Jesus tells this parable, just a story, tells it to the scribes, leaders, and again, it's a murderous one where these tenant uh, workers uh, who are living on the farm and, and uh, then when it's time to produce the fruit, they don't do it. And when the servants come, sent by the owner, they beat them, they kill them, they kill them another set of them, then they kill the son. Again, just ghastly. They kill the son of the owner of their fields with this murderous greed that they'll get the money maybe of his inheritance. And, and the beauty of this passage, and Jesus the great teacher does this many times, but this is one of those really good ones. He says, what do you think uh, this owner is going to do as a result of that? And they, they took the bait. He'll kill those murderous people who have done that to his son. And then he turns it on them. Look into this mirror, that's you. The kingdom of God has been presented to you and you've rejected it. The stone which the builders constructed has been rejected. You have not opened yourself to God, closed yourself to God. 
Now again, this is a kind of a drastic story. And I guess the safety of hearing a drastic story like this is that we can push it away and say, oh, well, that's not us. I would never do that. I, that's horrible. Maybe like the chief priests and the elders, we could say those things. Oh, that's terrible. We would never do that. But in a much modified way, we're being asked to look at the ways that we don't open ourselves to the kingdom every day. So I challenge you, and I challenge myself today, um, to notice when we have been kingdom-like or not been kingdom-like. Or like in the words of that little card that I've given so many of you, the Matthew, um, um, the, the um, seven steps of the prayer process. And the first one starts with gratitude within the last one is the, what I'm most grateful for. And then the second one is the star one. It says, when was I myself most a kingdom person and then not my worst self, but just not my best self, not as kingdom as I could have been. And today, if this word of God incites in us um, a little bit of a desire to be more kingdom-like, then I would say this word of God has been powerfully and tremendously productive, and it will indeed uh, deepen our faith and, and give us a, a chance to live the kingdom more deeply in our lives.